Hello and welcome to the Psychology of Depression and Anxiety podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Scott. I'm a licensed clinical psychologist and I'm the author of the book, For When Everything is Burning. In my clinical practice, I specialize in treating people with moderate to severe mood and or anxiety disorders. Usually it's severe and usually it's and because that's just kind of the way things go sometimes. What we're going to be talking about today is basically what I assume that you're all here for at the end of the day, which is happiness and how to be happy. It's uh, it's not an easy thing to do. You know, it seems like it should be. It seems like that you should just kind of have these pieces or be able to acquire these pieces. And if you put these pieces together in the right order, boom, happiness ensues. And, and maybe it is that simple for some people. If you have a mood disorder or an anxiety disorder, then those rules don't apply to you. You can have all the things and it still won't necessarily work. So how on earth do you do it? How do you get there? How does a person who deals with the kind of things that we deal with uh, even venture to try and have what we've considered to be a good life? We're going to break that down today. The first thing that I want to discard as the answer, we're, we're, first we're going to go over a few things that are not the answer because... It's easy to get hung up on these things and, and, and think that you have the answer only to find out that you were going down the long the wrong path for a very long time. So the first thing I want to destroy is the single factor theory. And the single factor theory of happiness posits that your life is missing one big thing. And that if you were to acquire this one big thing, you'd be good. That, that was the missing piece. You now have that missing piece. You now enjoy peace and happiness and comfort for the rest of your foreseeable future. Usually that missing piece is something like a partner or some certain amount of money in the bank or a status, you know, like a, like a job or a promotion or a degree. Sometimes that thing is having kids. Sometimes that thing might be, you know, if you looked a certain way, if you were at a certain weight or if your face looked some certain way or some certain part of your body looked different, tends to be things like that, that we get hung up on. And we think, if only, if I just, you know, fill in the blank. Now, the interesting thing about that is a lot of those things, I also work with people who say the inverse of that, meaning I, I have some people on my caseload who think like, if I, if I wasn't married, if I didn't have a partner, that would be the key to my happiness. Or if I never had to work again, I would be happy. If I didn't have kids, I would be happy. Now, if that were true, if there were one thing that was the answer to your happiness, you should be able to track your happiness in life as it relates to that one thing. So I'll just, I'll use weight as an example, because that's one we get really hung up on in this society, that weight equals happiness or that being at some certain weight or having your body look some certain way. Like if you have it, you're just guaranteed, you know, joy and a good life. And if you don't look this way, you'll never have it. If that were true, you should be able to take a person's mood and plot, you know, because we all have ups and downs, right? Not just on a daily basis, sometimes even on weekly or monthly or yearly basis. You know, we have phases of our lives that are relatively good and that we enjoy more than others. And we also have down phases that, that are not the best. And so if there were this, this strong correlation between weight and happiness, then you would see those two data points, right? If you plotted them, a person's weight and a person's happiness, they should move in tandem with one another. So as, as this person's weight goes up, well, I guess it would be an inverse correlation probably in this case. So as this person's weight goes up, their happiness goes down. As their weight goes down, their happiness goes up. 
if you tracked any single person's life, if you track those two variables in any single person's life, I do not believe you would find such a relationship. I know you would not find it in my life because since I was probably 14 years old and I'm 40 now, so let's say the last 26 years of my life, I don't think my weight has varied by more than like 20, 25 pounds tops. It's super narrow range, right? So if you track my weight, it would just it would barely move. Little up, little down, not much. If you tracked my mood or my happiness from 14 to 20, <laughs> I mean 40, or 14 to 20 for that matter, because that was a very tumultuous period of my life. That is all over the freaking place, like nobody's business. So there's no correlation between those two things. And that's, you know, I'm one person, that's one life, but nobody's life, nobody's life lives or dies by one thing. There, There is no one factor that's going to be the defining factor at least nothing outside of yourself, which we'll get back to that a little bit later, that creates, you know, the absence or the presence of enduring happiness in your life. Because you could take any variable in your life and try to track it, track when it's more present or more absent, and see if that has a one-to-one -one correlation with your mood or happiness or your general satisfaction in life. You're not going to find that relationship. It's not there. So let's talk about a few other things people pursue then. One thing that I see a lot of people go after in their attempts to be happy is that is they treat happiness as if it were the absence of unpleasant emotion. As in, if I, you know, don't get sad, don't get my feelings hurt, don't get angry, don't deal with anxiety. Usually, basically, if I avoid all the things that make me feel bad, that then is what will create happiness in my life. This one is pretty easy to debunk. Uh, and honestly, there's a lot of routes I could take, but here's the simplest one I can think of. You can have no distressing emotions in the realm that I just said. Again, you know, think of feelings like sadness, anger, anxiety. You, you can have none of those and you can be immensely bored. And boredom does not equate with happiness, right? Like if you're bored all the time, you're not going to be happy. That's not a good life. That's really not what I think anyone is looking for. So happiness can't just be the absence of unpleasant emotion because you can still be completely understimulated and disengaged with your life. In fact, I would even argue that if you go that route of trying to avoid all the things that potentially produce unpleasant feelings, that is most likely where you will end up. You will end up bored, understimulated, and unsatisfied with your life because every day is going to feel exactly the same and you're not going to enjoy it. What about the inverse of that? Is happiness just feeling a constant influx of positive emotion? In other words, if you experience the maximum amount of acute pleasure that, that you could have in life at any given moment, if you just do the thing that feels best right then and there, will that create happiness? Well, <laughs> let me tell you, friends, I tested that theory for you. I spent several years of my life living exactly that way. And I can tell you definitively, not only will that not lead to happiness, it will utterly destroy your life and leave a giant gaping black hole in your past where memories and relationships should be. I'm not going to go into more detail on that today. Maybe that's another topic for another episode. But no, it will not work. What about abundance? Is happiness just having a lot of everything that you want in life, right? Like, so we destroyed the single factor theory, right? But what if you have a lot of all those things? You know, what if you have like a ton of money and 
a lot of kids and a lot of friends and the respect of a lot of people, you know, just think of all, all the things that we tend to want in our society, all of our kind of worldly desires, right? If you have a lot of all of them, surely then a person will be happy, right? Except I think you already know this isn't true either, because you've probably seen many famous examples of people who clearly do have all those things, and yet clearly are not happy because they either behave incredibly erratically or develop dependencies on drugs or alcohol or other things to make them feel good because their life does not in and of itself feel good. Or tragically, sometimes these people even die by suicide or, or by intentional or unintentional overdoses because this incredible abundance they have in their lives still does not serve to consistently generate the feeling that they are craving and that they desire more of. So you probably already know that one's not true either. And you'll just adapt anyway. Like anyone who has ever had a big status change in life, anyone who's been in grad school like me has had this happen. Because when you're in grad school, unless you are in some really unusual financial circumstance, like unless you have like a rich partner or something, um, you're poor when you're in grad school. Maybe not like poverty poor, um, but it's very, very unusual to be in grad school and, and have more than just enough for the basic essentials, like best case scenario, because most likely that means you have been in college, you know, for probably five, six, seven years at this point, um, probably haven't been able to have more than an entry level part time job at any point during your academic career. And at some points in your academic career, probably haven't even been able to have that. Um, it's a tough time to build up wealth. And then, you know, at some point you get this graduate degree, you get licensed, you get a job that probably, depending on what you went to school for, like probably pays more than what most people make. So you have this huge jump in income from probably well below average to probably, a, probably pretty well above average, literally overnight. And it, as someone who's had that happen, like it does feel really cool for like a month and then you just get used to it. And it just feels like your life and it just feels normal. And, and for someone who's never been in a good place financially, like I know how that sounds. I know that probably sounds like snobbish and out of touch. And, but it, we know that this is true. This is a studied phenomenon uh, like through empirical research. It has a lot of different names. You can call it the hedonic treadmill, adaptation syndrome, whatever it may be. But the, the cute feeling of pleasure that we get from kind of leveling up in life in some certain area is not sustainable unless you just keep leveling up over and over and over and over again. That's why people who already have way more money than they'll ever need continue to try to chase more money. They are not actually chasing money. They are chasing the feeling of that upgrade, of that status change that comes when you hit that next level on the ladder. They don't actually need the money they need the feeling of progression. They need the feeling of moving forward in life. Now, you know, theoretically, if you could structure your life in such a way that you are constantly moving forward in every possible domain of life that matters to you, that probably could be a pretty satisfying life. But can you imagine how exhausting that would be? Because you have to do that in every area, right? If you just do it in one area, you're neglecting other areas of life, like your health and your relationships, for example. And those are also probably things that are pretty important for a person's happiness, right? So if you're constantly climbing ladder in this one area, and you're constantly falling down the ladder in every other area, I don't think that's going to be a very fulfilling life. 
So unless you're just willing to work nonstop every second of your day on all these things that matter to you, that's probably not going to work either. So at this point, it's probably looking pretty doom and gloom, right? Like I've basically just shot down everything that most people think will make them happy. So are we hopeless? Is there no point to any of this? Should we all just give up and, and be nihilists and accept that life is, you know, devoid of meaning and joy? That's not what I've done. And I don't necessarily think that's what you should do either. So let me offer a recharacterization of happiness. And this is, uh, I'm borrowing this a little bit from my upcoming second book. So yay, free book preview. When I was uh, growing up, one of the places we spent a lot of time was this cabin in the woods. And it was on a peninsula between two lakes. So what that means is, you know, surrounded by water on three sides. So this road that we lived on dead ends into the lake, basically. So we live on this road. So this road is the only road that connects us to anything else. One road. And it only, it, 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 it's not a one-way road, but like you can only go one direction on this road to get out. If you go the other way down this road, you eventually just end up in someone's driveway. So there's one way in and one way out. And normally that was fine. But every now and then something would happen to bar passage on this road. So you couldn't get in or out. Like sometimes a big tree would fall across the road or a big snowdrift. Or if there had been a big rainstorm, sometimes the road would be so muddy that you could not drive on it. And when that happened, when something would get in the way of your ability to traverse this road, you're trapped. You are stranded in your home and you cannot access anything else in the world, right? In unless you can somehow, like if you have a, hypothetically speaking, you could take a boat to a dock and walk somewhere, but like it's, there's nowhere you can walk to. It's a very remote area. So you're basically just stuck inside of your home until the road is cleared when one of those events happen. And this is something that can also happen to us in our lives. We can become stuck inside of ourselves because technically you don't actually experience, it's going to get a little weird, just bear with me. You don't actually experience the world. So the, the world, what you think of as the world, right? Like nature and other people and, and all, this, all this stuff that's out there, it's all just potential stimuli. That's all it is. The actual experiences that you have that you think of as your life and your memories, they only actually happen inside of you because what happens inside of you is your brain and sometimes your nervous system take in these stimuli and process them and basically translate them into something you can experience and understand. And that's your actual life. Your actual life is the inner experiences that you have processed from this external stimuli. So it's a little bit like if you were, I know I'm mixing metaphors and that can be dangerous, but if you were in a foreign country and you had no idea what anyone was saying and you walked around with like a translator on your phone, you wouldn't, none of this stimuli out here, the stimuli would be people talking, right? You hear people talking or people would be talking to you. None of it would mean anything to you because you don't understand this language until your translator app switches it into English or whatever your native language is. And then you say, oh, that's what this is. Until then, it's just meaningless stimuli, right? That's what the whole world is to you because your 
nervous system and your mind and your brain, they have to translate all this stuff into something you can process inside of you. I mean, that's, that's like, that's why you stop having experiences when you die. The world still exists when you are dead, but you no longer have a living nervous system or limbic system to process any of it. So you don't have any more experiences. Your world dies, but the world continues to live because you never experienced the world. You only experienced your world. I know that's a lot to take in. I know it's a little crazy. I really hope that makes sense to you. So jumping off that, if what you experience is not actually the world, but your world, your inner world, then that means that the quality of your life and therefore your happiness is really just based on what happens in here. At the end of the day, that's the single biggest factor is what is that translation process like? How accurately and correctly is are, are your inner systems taking what's out here and, and, tr and translating it? So again, go back to that translator, that actual translator metaphor, right? Imagine if you had like, this is going to be kind of funny. I, I like this one. I just came up with it. Imagine if you had a really glitchy translator and no matter what other people said to you, even if they were just being very kind and very helpful or, or, or loving or generous or whatever it may be, your translator just always translates it as like they're just swearing at you and they're mad at you <laughs> kind of hilarious but to be honest with you that's a little bit what it's like to live with a chronic mental health condition because what's actually out there and I'm not just people you can have a really good life from the outside right you can have good things things that you would think make people happy but if there's something going on in the translation of these external stimuli to internal experiences that you can process and feel and have emotions about, if that's not working right, then it really doesn't matter what's out there because it's not getting in correctly. It's getting twisted and manipulated and warped and distorted by the time it gets all the way down that, that one road from the main highway up here and into where you live. If by that time, it's not what it started as, that's what you experience. And that's why, like when we're depressed, for example, you can be with a person who loves you and they might be saying, I love you. And they might be hugging you and, and rubbing your shoulder and you know touching your cheek. And sometimes you feel nothing, right? So, sometimes the stimuli just doesn't get it at all. That's, that's often that's how depression feels. Is it just, it, that road is blocked. And you like, you can see it, you logically understand that there's good stuff out there. That world still exists. I know that world exists out there. I know there are good things in the world. Maybe they're even right here in front of my face, but they don't go all the way in. They hit a roadblock somewhere on that pathway into your inner world. And they end up, at least in that moment, meaning nothing to you. Or sometimes with anxiety, they get in, but they change. And I love you becomes a thing to be suspicious about, right? It becomes a source of concern or caution or paranoia. Every reassuring physical touch, every gentle hand on your shoulder is scary. It's a potential threat. It makes you think, what do they want from me? What does this person want? And so if what I'm saying makes any sense to you, 
then I think what this shows is that the real source of your happiness is the quality of your translation from external to internal. It's your ability to experience the world without belief systems or manipulations or distortions or problematic physical health conditions. I, I'm, I'm not trying to limit this to mental health. Sometimes we can have physical health limitations that make what could be an enjoyable physical experience feel uncomfortable or painful or too difficult. Um, like if I have, well, <laughs> I was going to say, if I have knee problems, that's not an if, I do have knee problems, and walking long distance. I love to walk. I love to be out in nature. I love the sun. I love the wind. I love the birds. I love all that stuff. But if I walk for a long time, I get really, really sore. And so even though I'm out in this beautiful area, you know, doing something I love, it becomes after a period of time, an unpleasant internal experience for me because it hurts. It hurts me to do those things. And so what's happening there is my body is changing the experience of what's happening outside of me in the world. And what could be this prolonged experience of joy or peace becomes something I can only enjoy in short spurts of time before it becomes painful instead. Like I said, that can be physical or emotional. Some of us, unfortunately, are battling some of both at the same time. But ultimately, I believe that the biggest factor in your happiness, in your quality of life, in your whatever you want to call it, is your ability to maintain that road, to keep that road clear, the road that lets things outside of you get all the way in. The road that lets the love of other people, or if you're a spiritual person, the love of God, whatever you want to call it, the road that lets all that get to your heart. Because if that road is blocked, nothing's getting in. Nothing's getting out either, for that matter. Your ability to be vulnerable, right? Uh, express yourself. Connect with other people, because connection is a two-way street. For you to really feel connected to someone else, things have to go in and out. There has to be a reciprocity present to create that connection. And if your road is blocked, then that reciprocity is impossible. And you are a prisoner inside of your own mind and your own body. And no matter where you go, and what you do is not ever going to feel the way you want it to feel. Because it's not getting all the way in. Or if it is getting in, it's not getting in in the format it was meant to be in. You're, you can be out doing your favorite thing in the world, but what, what you love about that thing is the inner experience, is, is what it creates inside of you. Not what you're actually doing, but what it makes you feel. And so if that thing stops making you feel that way, if you can be there in that place doing that thing and feel hollow and empty inside, then it doesn't matter what you do. And it's not going to make any difference what you do until you clear that road. So I know the obvious next question is, okay, great. How do I do that? There's no one answer to that question. And ultimately, I would have to know you to even begin to answer that question. But that road, what that road represents actually is your health. So I'm going to say, I say physical and mental health. We only divide those things so we know who to send you to in the medical field. 
mental health is physical health. We, we, it is. Your brain is a part of your body. And your mental health isn't just about your brain either, right? Your mental health is also about things like your nervous system, for example, which is not only in your brain, that's in all parts of your body. Um, but mental health is a part of your physical health. Your body is your brain's home. And I believe that the most important thing for all of us to do, this is going to be broad, this is going to be kind of general, because I probably don't know you. If I do know you, ask me in person and we'll dig deeper into it. It's maintaining that road. It's maintaining your physical and mental health. That's what the road is. The road is your health. When you are in poor physical health or poor mental health or both, that's what blocks that road. That's what prevents anything from getting in or out. Or that's what messes with things and makes them seem unpleasant or hostile or threatening or boring or whatever when that's not actually what they are but by the time they get from where they started to where you are they've changed forms and they're not what they started as that happens because of your health that happens because your road isn't maintained we're all going to have a different journey we're all going to have a different battle in front of us in terms of what we have to do to maintain that road i know what i have to do and it's a lot of things you know, this goes back to the very beginning of this podcast. We said that's not one factor, right? More than likely, it's going to be a combination of factors that you have to engage in to maintain that road. It's probably going to be a mix of sleep hygiene, physical activity, nutrition, connection with others, finding meaning and purpose, hobbies, building mastery, achievement. It's, it's a little bit of everything, but it's not all in one of anything. But the most important part is it has to be things that affect what is inside of you. You can only become truly happy by changing what it means to be you. You can't just change where you are or who you're with or what you're doing, or where you live or what car you drive or whatever. It's what does it feel like? When I wake up in the morning and I'm alone with my body and my brain or, or at whatever point of the day, I don't, I don't care who you are, at some point, at some point in your day, maybe it's when you're on the toilet, I don't know. At some point, it's just going to be you and this. That's all. What do those moments feel like? What do the moments feel like when you have no distractions? If they are miserable, then you're just patching that up. All, all the stuff you have outside of that, on top of that, big pile of band-aids, that's all that is. If it doesn't feel good to be you, true, lasting, sustainable happiness is not possible, in my opinion. But again, that's not as bad as it might sound, because we all have the ability to change what it feels like to be us. You may not have complete control over those variables, but you have tremendous influence over them. And what I really hope that you take away from this episode today is that you use that influence, that you use your power, that you exert that influence, not to change the stuff outside of you, because that's not really going to matter that much. I hope you use your influence to change what is inside of you, to change what it means to be you, to, to exist in this world as the person you are. What does it feel like when you walk into a room? What does it feel like when you're driving your car? What does it feel like when you're laying in bed? That's ultimately all that really matters, I think, because that's the key to everything else branches off from that. 
And if that's not in a good place, everything else gets blocked or twisted or whatever it may be. So lastly, I'm going to be a little cheesy. Uh, I probably should have been doing this the whole time. I don't know why I'm so against this kind of thing. It just, I'm, I'm not a self-promoter. It does not come naturally to me. But I'm just going to throw it out there that if you got good value out of this, if you enjoyed it, I would really, really appreciate it if you would do something to let me know. A lot of options there, right? Feel free to leave a review of the podcast. If you're watching this on YouTube, leave a comment. I'd love it if you'd subscribe. I'd love it if you'd send this to a friend. Send me a message on Instagram if you want. Let me know what you think. Just let me know because I'm mostly just doing this to try to put some good stuff out there. That's that's my primary motivation to, to make this podcast. Cheesy as it may sound, is I, I just want to help people. I want to help people with things that are hard to find good help with. Because um, that's been my experience in life is there's a lot of things I need help with. And I, just, I couldn't find the resources I needed. I couldn't find the people who were talking about the things that I wanted them to talk about or who had, had the experiences that I needed them to have had. So um, if this is doing that for you, I'm really glad. And please let me know. Show me a little love. That's all I ask. Take care.